0: This podcast is recorded in front of a live studio audience at Legend Comics in Omaha, Nebraska. Hi, I'm Jason Aaron, writer of uh, Thor, God of Thunder. And you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. There you go. Sort of break it, break it down like good.
1: And away we go. Welcome to episode 84 of THN, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, October 6th. My name is Matt Baum, that's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter, and when I'm not being branded the deadbeat dad of TwoHeadedNerd.com by my poor Dickensian overworked co-host, I write the comic speculator blog and appraise comics for wordpoint.com. It's
2: sad he doesn't even care. And I, I'm Joe Patrick. I barely care, to be fair. <laughs> and I'm Joe Patrick at JoePatrick116 on Twitter. And when I'm not getting so jealous of Matt spending all this time playing chef or setting his fantasy football lineup that I've started sending emails accusing him of stealing comics, it's true. Just to get his attention, I'm the manager of Legend Comics in sad. Omaha, Nebraska. A
1: desperate cry for help. This week, you'll hear reviews of Avengers vs. X Men 12
2: and an adventure. Advanced review of Uncanny
1: Adventures, number one. What? Apparently we're special. Yes. After that, we'll review 10 comics faster than Big Bird can delete his or her Twitter account. I never knew, was he supposed to be a dude or a girl? Big Bird's a dude. He's a dude? Yes. think so? Played by a girl. Kind of a uh, dude, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where pharmaceuticals and glowing runes will allow us to explore the secrets of next week's comics. And it's time for another new segment we're ah, calling ah, The Greatest of All Time, time! where this week we'll be discussing the greatest event comic series of all time. time. But before we get to all that zinging and gotcha questioning, let's take a moment to give the Obama campaign a little debate coaching. When all else fails, just point at your opponent and say, you would say that, you rich white asshole," And then (laughs) we'll talk about this week's big news.
2: Mark it on your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. Matt Baum was right about something. Oh, give me a break. I'm always right. Sort of. Flash number zero hit the stands two weeks ago, bringing with it the introduction of a new character named Daniel West. I immediately received a frantic text from Matt wondering if this was DC's way of sticking it to fans and making it impossible to introduce Wally into the New 52. I told him he was being paranoid again and that the name was just a coincidence. What I didn't know was that DC... Had teased fans by promoting the Zero issue on their blog with the tagline, Introducing the newest member of the West family. Uh huh. <laughs> now, in an interview this week on Newsarama, Flash writers Francis Manipole and Brian Buccaletto have confirmed that Daniel West is a character to watch and that Iris West is his sister. Wally fans will remember that historically, Iris is Wally's aunt, but the writers were careful not to make any further comments on the matter. So, while Matt was right that Daniel West is more than a throwaway character, he was wrong about DC closing the door on Wally. It seems like quite the opposite. So, what do you think? What do you have to say for yourself? Thank you for not calling me Bomber. What do you think, Bomber? <laughs> Screw
1: you. One of two things this is them preparing to introduce a young Wally that I hate. I don't want to see him as a little kid. Or, whoops. Another editorial screw up. We didn't even think about it. You know, and we just kind of threw that out there. Like maybe they, they wouldn't Didn't have, even occur to him. <laughs> you know?
2: I don't think they you would have. No, but you don't
1: know. That's the
2: thing. They DC wouldn't have anymore. promoted it on their blog.
1: No, though. they wouldn't promote their blog unless afterwards they were like, well, we did name him West. Let's
2: just I don't know. Yeah. Throw something else in there. I agree that I don't. Like I think it's planned. I think they definitely have a plan to introduce a character named Wally into the new continuity. I'm probably... But I agree that I am not interested in seeing a, a little kid Wally West. This no. guy, this guy looked, even though it was set five years in the past, this guy looked young. Yeah, real young. Like certainly not old enough to have somebody as old as say Nightwing. Yeah. And I don't want it. Like, the reason I love Wally West so much is that, you know, we watched him grow up once already. Nightwing was his best friend. Right. Like, you you lose all of that. Yeah. And even if they can't, unless they can somehow change it, maybe they're throwing a curveball and saying that he's not Wally's dad. Maybe there's another member of the family.
1: Maybe. But if he's going to exist, he can't be the same character, period. He cannot. Because it's Wally true. West was basically stepped right into the shoes of the Flash. It's true, and I mean, and and, and, you and this can't continuity have them both being you know police forensic officers and the Flash at the same time. It's just dumb they, if they do this.
2: Well, Wally wasn't a cop, but I understand what you're right.
1: saying. But I mean, if they do this, he's going to have to be a completely different character, and that yeah. sucks.
2: And I don't. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that's. I hate to say it, but I'd almost rather not have him.
1: I would rather not have him too. Just forget it. Just write it off. I'm, it sucks, and I hate that, too, but it's better that way. At least I can hold on to what I did love about the character.
2: Well, listen, you you can still hold on to what you did no, love about I the can't. character. I <laughs> can't. You big crybaby. I'm crossing
1: it out of my brain right now.
0: Didn't happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> another week, another round of Marvel Now Teasers. Three more one-word promo images hit the web this week, teasing new titles coming in January. The first was the word
0: savage yeah which featured
1: a familiar set of claw marks and frank cho listed as the sole creator of the title i hope it's not wolverine i hope it's kazar next was amateurs by kieran gillen you
2: haven't even read this yet have you
1: Uh, no i've read next was amateurs by kieran gillen and jamie McKelvey. these images point towards long-standing rumors of a frank cho wolverine series and a young avengers revival from gillen and McKelvey. finally the mysterious Superior teaser resurfaced, but this time the letters had a red and blue tint, and the creative team of Dan Slot, Ryan Stegman, Humberto Ramos, and Giuseppe Communicoli. Humberto Humberto Which pretty much confirms which pretty much confirms some sort of Of Spider-Man relaunch, I still don't get the superior thing.
2: I don't either, but I mean, those guys are the yeah current Spider-Man team. Other than Ryan Stegman, that is the current Spider-Man creative team. Right. Well, Stegman's gonna have to find a new job. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's
1: true. It's true. Also, this week, Marvel revealed the first details about Jonathan Hickman's upcoming New Avengers relaunch, confirming that the book will star the Illuminati, a group of Marvel's greatest heroes operating to guide the world in secret. Black Panther, who originally declined membership, and Beast will be new additions to the group, and Hickman promised that the group will have to deal with Namor's crimes during Avengers vs. X-Men, especially his attack on the Black Panther's Kingdom of Wakanda. Joe, are you done with this teaser bullshit, or is it just me? <laughs> I'm, I kind of just want him to rip the band-aid off at this point. I know. Point. <laughs> I know. Let's go in reverse order. New
2: Avengers. Awesome. It totally is now awesome. like my number one most anticipated Marvel novel. Totally awesome. Call it Avengers Illuminati. You can call it New Avengers. I don't care. I care. I, it, new
1: Avengers, the new is just dumb. Stop calling things new. It's not new anymore. Call it Avengers Illuminati. I, I
2: agree with you there. I agree with you there. I love the idea that the Beast is stepping in to kind of like take Charles Xavier's place. Yeah, that's pretty cool uh hickman said that of all of the like everyone in this group thinks that they're in charge except one of them is like a foot soldier who's kind of conflicted right i think that's beast that's got to be beast's role because everyone else was already in the illuminati other than black panther who is a king i suppose uh he obviously he already thinks he's better than everybody.
1: i would also like to see hank become the new charles xavier like the Ooh. leader of the x-men the it's headmaster. Xavier. It's Xavier. It's dude.
2: not. Have you not seen one episode of the '90s X-Men cartoon?
1: Um, you might want to call all the kids that attend Xavier University and tell them they're saying the name of their college wrong. Right?
2: I'm not saying that <laughs> that is not <laughs> applicable to that school, I, but this character's name was Charles Xavier.
1: Dumb Xavier. Anyway,
2: <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. They I showed the cover to number it's two. A great idea, and it's all of their hands interlocking in like a a, a star pattern and. Where their fingers meet are the Infinity Gems. I got a little tingle. Pretty cool. Yes, the Spider Man thing. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what they're. Are we getting do a new book called the Superior Spider Man? That's stupid. I don't know how I feel. about
1: Unless that. it is Cosmic Spidey back, and suddenly he's the most powerful character in the DC. And pardon me, in the Marvel. You. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, I'm thinking that is something that's going to be unveiled at New York Comic Con next week. I'm kind of eager to find out. I'm glad that it looks like Dan Slott staying on the book. Yeah, definitely. And I like the artists we have now. I love Giuseppe Camon Oh, he's
1: fantastic.
2: I love Ryan Stegman. Glad I to see too. him
1: drawing amazing Spider-Man. Love him too. Frank Cho better just be on... Wolverine. I he don't... is
2: the writer and artist of Wolverine. That is the rumor okay. that has I been going for months. I just don't
1: another new Wolverine series. We don't I think, don't it's, I think it. it's
2: just Wolverine.
1: Okay, good. I'm fine with that. That's
2: awesome. I don't know. Fine I, with it. I feel like all, none of Frank Cho's books count. <laughs> you know what I mean? They do feel often pretty removed. Yeah, like his Shanda the She-Devil might as well have never happened. It's so disconnected from everything. I'm not...
1: I liked it, though. I don't know.
2: We'll see. I, I like Frank Cho's art. I, I'm not sold on him as a monthly superhero writer i did like his liberty meadows but yeah i I mean i like the guy i don't know we'll see uh and this young avengers thing by uh gillen and McKelvey, great choice of creative team call it young avengers don't call it anything else i think that's the plan that is a strong rumor it's been going again for months that it's young avengers good i hope it's more than just kid loki wiccan and um miss america oh you know it is i want all of the Young Avengers. They're, Otherwise, it's not really the Young Avengers. They're probably just
1: the newest members or something.
2: Sure. Uh, but some of these have me excited. Some of them have me skeptical. Uh, the New Avengers, though, right now, it's my number one I'm most looking forward Sounds to in, the, in cool. the relaunch. Finally, actor Michael Rooker, best known, at least to me, as Mr. Svenning from Mallrats, is expressing interest in playing Rocket Raccoon in Marvel's upcoming Guardians of the Galaxy film. I suppose you may know him as Merle from The Walking Dead, but whatever. The guy that sawed his hand off. Yeah. Yeah. Rooker is friends with Guardians director James Gunn and was featured in Gunn's films Slither and Super. That's a lot of S's. It is. When Comic Book Resources asked the actor about it at the red carpet premiere of Walking Dead Season 3 in Los Angeles, the actor said, quote, Of course I would. Are you serious? (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to. You know what? I've already done two projects with James Gunn, and it's an awesome project. So who wouldn't want to be a part of it?
1: He said, "I don't like paychecks, so no, (laughs) I wouldn't be interested."
2: Now, personally, I've always kind of imagined Rocket Raccoon with a British accent. That's insane! What? No, Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, yeah, like a like a space James Bond kind of guy. No, no, I more like uh more like the man in black from Princess Bride, like a swashbuckler british pirate guy what yeah that's no how i picture way. rocket raccoon that's
1: not what i pictured at all i picture him sounding like charlie day <laughs> honestly <laughs> i totally do like kind of screaming and yelling and shooting guns you know <laughs> i've always kind of pictured him like that
2: i don't know but this I is like if are getting Rooker, like a gruff like tough guy rocket i like raccoon. the voice yeah yeah
1: i think his voice would be really cool Um, I can't imagine being friends with Michael Rooker and I know you're supposed to separate the man from his art but he always plays the skeeziest most disgusting terrifying individual white supremacist (laughs) murderer you know yeah I'm sure he's really a nice guy he's a real sweetheart (laughs) but I think it's a super interesting voice for Rocket Raccoon I actually really like it I really like it the more I thought about it the more at first it's like no yeah but I really like it
2: I wouldn't mind it at all no. I kind of hope it comes true Because you know what Michael Rooker He deserves it
0: All
2: right I don't know why Yeah, okay
0: Rocky Rooker, Check into his room Only to find John's Bible
1: That's the big news for this week If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed Head over to our Facebook page We've been discussing who should play us In the upcoming THN movie A film exploring the years before we started podcasting When I dyed my skin dark brown And tried to impersonate a hip 80's black dude To get into college And Joe Patrick was a pizza delivery boy Making a little money on the side as a male prostitute Selling pleasure and fantasy to lonely housewives. Those were the days, soul man.
2: I got it. I know it. (laughs) I was going to say love and boy.
1: Every week, my big baby brother, Joe Patrick, posts the aptly named question of the week on our Facebook and Twitter. If you want to play along, all you have to do is become a fan on Facebook or follow us on Twitter, and we might read your response on the air, making you instantly internet famous. This week's question was, what comic book death hit you the hardest as a fan? Joe Patrick, what are the listeners saying?
2: Brian DuPont on our Twitter says, I got to go with Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate Peter Parker. That's it was so clean. touching. That is a great one. So valiant. That was a fantastic i agree i that was a wonderful story i got teary-eyed and yeah i got got a little dusty in the ziggurat i won't lie yeah mike andrews who is writer mike a on twitter he digs deep he says reed richards getting zapped in fantastic four number 381 which is from like 1994 wow (laughs) that was some depressing business doom is an a-hole Hey, Mike, I remember I am with you on this. I, I remember where I was when I read that comic. I do not recall this. Yeah. Vaporized. Owen Craig from Panel Culture Podcast uh says, Why the last man pick any death? <laughs> and I agree.
1: Yeah. A lot, uh, of, a lot of big ones in there.
2: Our buddy Jared chimes in by saying Night Runner.
1: Our Dungeon Master. That's how we Yes. To
2: you. Our Dungeon Master Jared says Nightrunner in the Elf Quest saga. Whoa. Damn, that really bummed me
1: out. I always think it's kind of funny when people admit that they read or liked <laughs> ElfQuest. You know, it's like, whoa, really? You're, you're brave.
2: Jared continues, I was 14 or so. Sure, he was only a wolf, but he was Cutter's first wolf friend and super buddy. I think I was reading it around the same time my first childhood pet was put down, oh. so it struck home with me. Oh. As a fine older gentleman, I cried over ampersand in Why the Last Man, and my wife made fun of me. <laughs> Animal death hits me hard, I guess. <laughs> that's no joke uh the final issue of why the last man yeah is a tearjerker
1: pretty gut-wrenching yes
2: stuff. Stephen dowell who is a first-time contributor from our facebook page
1: welcome aboard steven welcome
2: aboard steven says supergirl in crisis on infinite earths depressed me for a week at the time yeah and that was huge back that in the was day. huge for me and we'll talk about that later in the show huh? chris duffy PhD, on facebook says he's a doctor Dr. Chris Duffy says <laughs> he
1: didn't go to school for eight years
2: to be called Mr. Chris Duffy. <laughs> That's right. Hawkeye in Avengers disassembled. That cut deep, man. You still haven't fully forgiven Bendis for that. It was a really cool death. It was and, a no. It was. It was an awful death.
1: I disagree. No. I think it was executed really well because it wasn't a big deal. It happened fast and it was senseless. <laughs> and like yes, it was senseless. We haven't seen. Superhero deaths like that for a
2: long it, time, where he's just like, what? No, not like this. This is ridiculous, you know? Hawkeye doesn't have a buckle on his quiver that he can't just whip that thing off in a second? Apparently not. Nonsense. Bet he does now. Chris Duffy, <laughs> I am with you. <laughs> Ryan Mount chimes in with Johnny Storm uh, as someone who, as a kid, thought Marvel's first family was the greatest and the coolest and has not missed a single issue of the family since getting back into comics. It just got me.
1: It was a badass death. That yeah, didn't...
2: the death of Johnny Storm was a huge. It was deal. a
1: badass death.
2: And Zach Hollowell says, "The death of my innocence." The first time I read an issue of the New Bondage Varius, <laughs> <laughs> I think we should end it with that. <laughs> a good place to pause. <laughs> It's review time on THN, where each week, Matt and I accept our check from Marvel Entertainment and then give glowing reviews to two randomly chosen new comics. Completely random. Matt, tell these kids about what comic you were not directly influenced to read.
1: This week, I was not directly influenced to read Avengers vs. X-Men, number 12 from Marvel. I mean, we had to talk about this. Of course. Come on. This one is written by Jason Aaron, Brian Michael Bendis, Ed Brubaker, Matt Fraction, and Jonathan Hickman, I believe. Script by Jason Aaron. Collectively, they are the Marvel Architects. The architects. I hate that term. With art by just plain old Adam Cooper, (laughs) all by himself. This is the big conclusion to the year-long Marvel event you thought might never end and with AVX Consequences shipping next week and Avengers plus X-Men starting soon, we can all rest assured it's nowhere near over. That's right. In this issue, we see the big knockdown, drag-out, last-ditch battle of the combined Avengers and X-Men versus the Dark Phoenix Cyclops who is throwing a fit of cataclysmic proportions and only two lovely ladies have the power to stop him. Whoa. My relationship with Avix has been a complicated one to say the least. There were issues of this series I really, really enjoyed, and others that seemed to go nowhere, stretching a story that probably could have been told in six issues to a whopping twelve. I would have allowed them eight. Eight. All right. Well, I think that's fair. Trim
2: four. Trim yeah. the
1: fat. Here we are at the finale, and for one reason or another, the Avengers are still yes! trying to punch know. Cyclops in the face to stop it. Right? Okay? Ugh, this, I was so mad. This reminds me of the George Reeves Superman, where every time he bumped into a bank robber or a gangster, they pulled their gun, shot at him six times. Every bullet. Until the gun went click. It's watching the bullets do nothing, bounce off Superman's chest, then they looked at him and threw their gun at him. <laughs> you know, Like, really? The shooting didn't work, and, but you're going to try this. It's, seriously, guys, the Avengers have been getting their heads kicked in for a year now. They're fighting a To guy, be fair, it's come out pretty much twice a month, so six months. Fair enough. They're fighting an enemy that punches the Hulk from Sydney, Australia to Sacramento, California. They show it. (laughs) Yep. And it's actually a really cool series of panels where they show Cyclops kicking their butts all over the world. And, you know, and they're not to mention the fact that they are constantly reminding the reader, like, we're
0: way out of our league here.
1: This isn't working. Like, first. Twelve issues they've been telling
2: us this isn't working. This, this isn't working. And this isn't working. This isn't the first time they've tried it either. No. They, I mean, it, it didn't work when there were five of them. Right. What made them think it would work when there's one of them? I know. And they just keep coming back and trying to punch him, essentially.
1: Ugh. Like, I can't count how many panels there are of the Red Hulk punching Scott in the face and nothing is happening. You yeah. know,
0: it's like, whatever.
1: Now, On a certain Marvel fanboy level, I have to admit, Kubert's spread pages of the Avengers and the X-Men teaming up and fighting still make me feel warm and fuzzy inside. But I honestly, I don't know if I have it in me to read another huge crossover event that focuses on a series of fist fights. Because ultimately here, again, the same thing they were guilty of with Fear Itself and House of M, you've got a whole lot of premise, but not a whole lot going on. I think that's what this book is guiltiest of. There's been page after page after page of, hit him in the face, it didn't work, let's run away. Hit him in the face again, it didn't work, let's run away. I mean, And I liked the Avengers going to Kunlun and them tying the Iron Fist mythos
2: into it and stuff. Yeah. That's really cool. But there just isn't a lot that went on here. In in hindsight, and in the book's defense, we did say that we were looking forward to this event because we were tired of the heavy-handed allegory you know like fear itself isn't the world such a terrible place but i'm afraid the needle may have swung too Too far in the other direction right we wanted a book that was action and fun yes and and when it hit they did it we
1: definitely got action and fun But
2: you can't give me the phoenix and have the avengers trying to hit him to death yeah it's it's just just it's stupid it's dumb
1: kubert i will say is solid here and other than one really weird downward looking perspective of the avengers and where it kind of looks like they're on their own personal planet, you know, like the little prince. <laughs> so they, <you> know, <laughs> it's, it's just weird. It's good. It's still not the Adam Kubert that I loved back in the late 90s and early 2000s. Maybe
2: that's what Kun Loon is. But like this the is good. Planet.
1: Maybe it is. Like the Iron Iron Fist is like the little prince. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah I don't
1: know. I like the end a lot more than I thought I would, but it seems to be in spite of the story itself. I'm not going to spoil anything here, but I did think the way that the Phoenix Force was dealt with was very clever, but it left me with a lot of questions. After the Phoenix is defeated, we all knew that was coming. You right, know, like, right, right, right. It wins and the Marvel Universe ends. After it's defeated, we suddenly see mutants popping up all over the world again. So my question is, did they just undo M-Day? I don't think so. You don't think I so? I think
2: we would have seen that yeah i think what this means is that it still happened blob still turned into a sack of sack of skin right jubilee is a powerless vampire and richter's just not as interesting as he used to be <laughs> well richter, richter got his powers back oh, in that's Avengers right the children's crusade that's right but chamber like remember after yeah. house of m they found him in that hospital with a gaping hole in his chest yeah and up re- the how'd that dude survive and long enough to get taken to the hospital i want to know good question but i think it w- it didn't undo what Wanda did but it re-triggered the ability so in anyone that had so the it mutant re-triggered gene, the x gene
1: yeah okay i'll buy that i was kind of hoping it would just undo MDF.
2: Maybe. I mean, and this is it's just it. what it looks from a couple pages. True. I was so kind of hoping it
1: would undo MDF. Maybe we'll see. Maybe it'll be a mix of both. Back to the point. I can't say this was a satisfying ending to the AVX event because it wasn't it was just another big beat-em-up issue where finally they went you know what you're right let this isn't working let's
2: try our last ditch plan oh that worked (laughs) you know yeah i (laughs) i guess the problem for me is i feel like maybe they switched gears at certain points and tried to go in a different direction and part of it is because of the or part of it i suspect is because there were so many cooks in this kitchen that's where i was going to go with this you know if if like for example Okay, we're going to talk about Uncanny X-Men from this week later. That was amazing. Right. Kieran Gill right? nailed it. Yes, uh and spoiler
1: alert, I give it a buy it in the
0: ludicrous.
2: <laughs> you know, and that's just one writer focused on yeah. on the events I going like on. All these writers. I immensely enjoy it all It should these have writers. been a singular writer, I
1: think, or two of them even. I think two of them. Would have been fine,
2: and I well, and the thing is, is, that I'm fine if they all plotted it together. Sure, but bouncing from writer to writer, from issue to issue, it I think disjointed. hurt the book.
1: It was too disjointed.
2: Like Nova, at the beginning of the series, was the one that told them the Phoenix was coming. Right, Nova was not seen again until issue twelve.
1: Uh, yeah, like the fifth why to the last page. Why <laughs> issue twelve?
2: Uh, we get such such a big deal about how Hope and the Scarlet Witch are the only ones that can stop the phoenix and i get it and that's fine they give him the care bear stare and it's over pretty much yeah i mean but like, why didn't they do that uh, six months ago why question, didn't they do that and, five issues and ago? and
1: my problem with the scarlet witch is she's way too powerful and if you've got this character in your team why do the avengers ever lose any fight why doesn't she just go nope nobody died you know and everybody's fine or <laughs> go away dr doom and he goes that's, away, a, whole nother, you know? that's a whole nother i'm argument. not gonna go into that yeah <laughs> i'm giving this a skim it and I'm giving this a skim It I'm not going to say leave it because it wasn't terrible. And I have to admit, I really, really like where this steers the direction of the Marvel Universe. And I think it was very effective in that sense.
2: Right. But here's... Does know, that make it a good story? No. You're right. And I agree. I was so excited. And I feel like this is the same story with all events. Right. They can never live up to the hype because that's all these marketers do is hype, 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 hype. I get so excited for what is to follow. Like the reason I was so excited for Siege because I wanted the heroic age. Right. And I thought, you know, Dark Reign was going to be fun, which is why I was excited for Secret Invasion to end. The endings never really deliver on the hype.
1: Yeah. And I would argue that the next event they do, it can't be a giant world shaking, you know, bad guy shows up to crack the planet in half story. They need to do something on a smaller scale, a smaller, more personal scale to make me care. Mm. Because I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of super bad guy shows up and either twists good guys into bad guys and makes them fight each other. They've done this like three times in the past ten years. In the past five years. It's been like hero
0: turns against hero because of really powerful bad thing. You know? (laughs) Like
1: whether it's an enchanted hammer you know weapon or the phoenix force i mean i'm just i'm over it
2: i want i but want i am i want the next story to be about how the red skull is about to conquer the world and bring back hitler <laughs> you know yeah, that, 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 yeah how about the heroes fight the villains
1: yeah that's fun you know for a change
2: uh, i have to give it a skim it as well and while i was excited about the aftermath i have to say like not that it's the same thing but no one would say that one more day is a great, is, was worth it because of what came from brand new day. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the aftermath doesn't necessarily justify a mediocre story. This needed to be better. It had fun moments, but overall, it was a lot of, mo- a lot of money and a lot of issues spent and a lot of uh, the issues I was just left wanting. And if the tie-ins are better than the main, your guys are not doing it right. I agree. <laughs> Uh, so, skim it for me. Joe Patrick, tell us about Uncanny Avengers
1: number one.
2: Hey, this is written by Rick Remender, with art by John Cassidy, and colors by Laura Martin. Here's your solicit in typical Marvel bullet point style. Captain America begins his quest to create a sanctioned Avengers unit comprised of Avengers and X-Men, humans and mutants working together. So, why is Professor Xavier's dream more at risk than ever? Bullet! The funeral of one of Marvel's greatest heroes. Bullet! <laughs> the first attack of the most loathsome villain in history will quake the Marvel Universe forever. But following the events of Avengers vs. X-Men, can Captain America pull together a team that can get along for its first mission?
1: I think from here on out, we announce every bullet. (laughs) Sure. Every bullet point gets announced. And if you're going to do it, we're going to read them all. That's
2: right. Now, an advanced copy of this issue arrived at Legend this week, and who was I to deny it? I'd hardly be doing my duty as a comics journalist if I didn't let my listeners know what I thought of the flagship title of the Marvel Now Relaunch. The book opens with a fairly grim bit of brain surgery and a villainous monologue worthy of Dr. Doom, followed by the funeral of Charles Xavier.
1: Let me tell you, the only thing I love more than wedding issues, funeral issues. <laughs> yeah, and it was good. Oh, I love them.
2: It I was love good. Uh, there were some less than inspiring words from Wolverine, <laughs> and then the issue transitions to Havoc visiting his brother in prison a scene that kind of makes Cyclops look crazier than a bag of cats. <laughs> you
1: know what I love? Havoc. I love Havoc. Oh, my God. I'm so glad to have him back. <laughs> Havoc,
2: when Havoc was in one of the first comics I ever read before I even knew, knew what the X-Men were. Really? Yep. Huh. For real. So Cyclops is in this prison made of ruby quartz which is cool yes and he's wearing this ridiculous looking helmet
1: yeah, it's like a welding mask with, with these things.
2: huge red ruby quartz yeah uh like goggles covering his eyes and that's all you see is completely stone faced and these ridiculous red bug eyes and it makes him look like a lunatic <laughs> Remender's script is perfect in this issue the character's voices all ring true and the slow build to action reminded me a lot of the first issue of Joss Whedon's Astonishing X-Men, and I don't think that's just because of the John Cassidy connection. There's just enough humor and high concept weirdness, like you might find in a typical Remender book, uh, that keeps it from being bogged down. There's a wonderful scene between Rogue and the Scarlet Witch that Remender uses to say a lot of the things that I've been thinking myself for years. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but Rogue and Scarlet Witch kind of have it out and they each say something that i was i've been thinking myself like yeah yes <laughs> why is this like literally for years since house of m nice john cassidy's art is phenomenal he's a master storyteller and there's really nothing more to say about it his partnership with laura martin on the colors long-term partners in in comics and they just produce some amazing visuals this is a beautiful book through and through if I have one criticism, it's that Cassidy's art always makes superheroes and villains look really kind of silly to I me.
1: I feel the same way. It's like I love Steve Dillon, but I don't like Steve Dillon drawing superheroes. Right. Like when he draws Spider-Man, it looks
2: Spider-Man looks dumb. Yeah. And I'm not saying that it's not a beautiful book. Right. This is a beautiful book. Cassidy's a wonderful artist, but his design choices just don't seem to fit well with how I perceive superheroes. He's the originator. Of the huge silver dollar-sized chainmail on Captain America, which I hate. See, I
1: think it's kind of cool. I hate
2: it. <laughs> and we've been stuck with it for so long. I think it's kind of cool. It, it's like his style is so detailed and realistic that some of the more fantastic elements just stand out as bizarre.
1: Well, and not to mention the fact that he kind of draws his stuff the way, like, he's so talented that if people really put these costumes on... This is they would look kind of ridiculous, and this is probably what they would kind of look like.
2: <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know? Like if you look at his Thor, Thor doesn't appear too much in this book, but if you look at his Thor, it looks kind of goofy. Yeah, and it looks like a homeless dude wearing a like a tin can <laughs> on his head, and that's Thor's design, right? I mean, that's yeah. what Thor looks like. Yes, and it just looks odd, but it's so well executed and wonderful to look at that I end up forgiving it the book ends with an amazing cliffhanger that made me squeal with the delight and it is such an over-the-top fun idea that i can't wait to see what becomes of it the bottom line is that i think marvel now is off to a really good start and uncanny avengers is the perfect book to kick it off i'm giving it a buy it haven't read it yet Good work.
1: <laughs> no, but I'm really excited for it. I love that Patrick it. kept it from me to punish me all week.
2: That is not true. You're si- it's sitting right there. It's uncanny.
1: So that is a double skim it for Avengers vs. X-Men 12 and a single buy it from Joe Patrick for Uncanny Avengers. Number one, of course, we want to know what you A's and X's thought of these comics. So hit us up on the comment section for this episode on
2: TwoHeadedNerd.com
1: and let us know how drawn out and money driven our reviews really were.
2: My opinion's not for sale, Marvel.
0: Mine is. Mine's absolutely for sale.
2: Join us in the cockpit of the experimental THN space rocket piloted by me, the ever-loving blue-eyed Joe Patrick, And designed by the brilliant and misunderstood Matt Bomb, as we launch into space where, due to Matt's secret machinations, our privates will be bombarded by cosmic rays, making them hard as rocks, super stretchy, and able to shoot fire and project invisible force fields. Cool, right? Yeah. But before this ship crash lands outside New York Comic Con, we'll review 10 comics during re-entry in this week's Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go!
1: The Lone Ranger number 0 from Dynamite. I keep giving The Lone Ranger a chance, and you know what? This issue was pretty cool. It was very Tonto-centric, and it was about him like going to meet up with The Lone Ranger. But uh, I'm sorry, Andy Parks. You're just not doing it for me, man. I can only give it a skim. Tonto-centric
2: is the name of my new album. <laughs> Tonto-centric? <laughs> yeah. Detective Comics, number 13, from DC. This is the first issue by John Layman of Chew and art by Jason Fabbog, I and forgot it this was, was happening. good. I forgot this was happening. I really like it. It's such an improvement from Tony Daniel. Batman actually does detective work, hey. and I was so happy. I'm giving it a buy-in. It right. Daredevil, end of days, number one from Marvel.
1: This is sort of Marvel's the end story for Daredevil. The story opens with Bullseye murdering Daredevil in the street in front of God and everyone. Everybody And Ben Urich Analyzing what happened And why nobody Did anything about it There is not much I love more than Brian Michael Bendis Writing Ben Urich He's so good at it This was really good This was excellent I didn't love the art But I'm still giving it A huge buy it. Yep it was great
2: Legends of the Dark Knight Number one from DC This is a print version Of the digital first Batman stories That are running uh, That DC is uh, running They uh, Forgot that was even happening They're out of continuity So what you get is a book that feels just like the New Fifty Two never happened. <laughs> it was great, and not because I hate the New Fifty Two. They were just really good stories. The lead story was by Damon Lindelof and Jeff Lemire. Very cool. Uh, there was a great story with Batman fighting Amazo on the JLA satellite. Nice. And uh, and uh, the final story was had like Tim Drake in the classic Chuck Dixon Robin costume. Yeah, that never happened. Yeah, but it, it was really good. I'm giving it a huge buy. It huh? Non-humans number one from Image. If I had to come up with one word to describe this book, it would be clunky. Clunky. This
1: is the clunkiest comic book I've read in a while. It takes place in the future sure. when a spaceship that we launched returned with a virus that gave life to toys. Which, by the way, is not in the story. No. And mannequins and robots. I mean, like, I'd, if it was just toys, it's still kind of a dumb idea, but then I could, like, sort of identify what was going on. Like... The
2: partner of the cop, of the main cop in this book, is some type of robot. I don't know what he is. Yeah, he's certainly not a toy. I, oh, you know what they're not uh, a mannequin. You know I, what they showed later though is that some of the small toys walk around in big robot suits to make them human oh, Well, if that's what's going on, they did not illustrate it that was at very all. Very poorly uh, yeah. explained and executed. I
1: did not care for this Will Spratacio's art. I is actually kind of enjoy so the concept. Weird. I think the concept sucks. I'm giving this a
2: leave it. Skim it from me. Doctor Who, Volume Three, Number One, from Mighty W. I have not really cared about the Doctor Who comics up till this point, but Andy Diggle and Mark Buckingham were the creative team, and I had to try it. Yeah. I'm a huge Doctor Who Pretty fan. Pretty irresistible. And this was okay. It was okay. It's just not as much fun in comic form, just like Star Trek and Star Wars. Sorry guys. I
1: really like Star Trek comic. It's
2: fine, but they're just they're, it's not the same as as seeing it. The yeah. magic
1: isn't quite there. Yeah. Okay. So
2: it's it's well executed enough, but I'm giving it a skim it. Only for like huge Doctor Who fans. Fair enough. Uncanny X-Men number 19 from Marvel. Pretend like we didn't talk about this. Uh Dale Eaglesham
1: does the provides the art here for a story called The Passion of Scott Summers by yeah. Kieran Gillen. This was excellent. Really great. And had they cut out some of the crap that was going on in Avengers vs. X-Men and put a story like this in there for the final issue, man, and honestly, it reads side by side with Avengers vs. X-Men 12. This was so good. So good. i got to give this a huge buy it. Please give Dale Eaglesham a job. Please, please, please. I hope that the problem is not that he's too slow to do it monthly. A versus X. Pardon me. A V X versus number six. Marvel. Oh, you don't know how glad I am to never have to say that title again.
2: <laughs> Stupid. This was the best issue of this series, and not because it was full of pathos or, or filled in plot. It was just fun. Scarlet Witch fought hope, and it was hilarious. Like, <laughs> Hope Cold Cox Scarlet Witch at the end and she does a little cheer and so it ends on like a freeze frame. <laughs> it was just, with, and drawn by Jimmy Chung of all people. Hey. It, was, it was awesome. I love Jimmy and Chung. And then the back is full of one page like comedy strips like Jim Mafood and Bendis do one where like, Cyclops and uh, Captain America are basically produced like your mama jokes and stuff like that <laughs> it was really it was just tons of fun um pointless but fun i'm giving it a buy it minimum carnage alpha from marvel this sets up the crossover
1: that's going to run through scarlet spider and venom and i'm not sure if i could care less Cullen Bunn seems to be getting a lot of these projects. Co-written by Christopher Yost, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. But it upsets me that Cullen Bunn's name keeps popping up on comics that are really mediocre when I love his Sixth Gun so much. Yeah. There's just nothing here that I'm interested in. The art was not very good. You don't need to read this one. Leave it. I'll
2: tell you what I felt reading it. I hate Carnage. I hate him. I will say that they have done some stuff to make him more interesting I don't recently, think so. I disagree. But I still don't care. I don't know. Yeah. Guardian Globe number two from Image. I love Guardian Globe number one, and I'm bringing up number two again because it was so good, and not enough of you are reading it. If you like Invincible, or even if you don't care about Invincible, but you only but you love great superhero stories, you need to buy this book. Please give Phil Hester and Todd Knock your money. They deserve it. Yeah, it's they're good. People. Wonderful. Pay those guys. I love it. Next time buy you see it. them,
1: just hand them five bucks. Yes. <laughs> That is your ludicrous speed round, and FWASH is the sound it makes when the Phoenix Force leaves Scott Summers' body, as seen in this week's Avengers vs. X-Men, number
0: 12. You may recall we just talked about it. The smell of burning incense and pungent oils calls us once again to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we will be inserting DMT suppositories we scored from Mysterio last night. In the hope that a hallucinatory spirit quest will lead us to the forbidden knowledge of next week's comics. Joe Patrick, pull up your pants and tell us
2: what you'll be reading next week. My pick for next week is Batman number 13 by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. This is the long-awaited return of the Joker and part one of the Death of the Family crossover between the Batman titles. I'm very
0: excited. It's going to be creepy, creepy, creepy. The
2: Joker's been missing for a year. Greg Capullo's been teasing how horrifying his new design is. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see it. Matt, tell us what you'll be reading next week.
0: Believe it or not, I'm excited for MacGyver, Fugitive Gauntlet. I don't believe it. Number one from Image. I loved MacGyver, the TV show, back in the day. Big fan. And this one is written by MacGyver creator David Lee of It looks like they forgot two or three <laughs> vowels. vowels in his name. Z-L-O-T-F-F. That's has to be a typo. If you listen to the show, if you could please tweet us and tell us how to pronounce that, it'd be great. <laughs>
2: Matt's such a big fan of MacGyver, he was still rocking the mullet when we met 10 years ago. I'm
0: seriously excited for this. I mean, really, it's going to be fun. I'm telling you.
2: (laughs) And our pick for trade or graphic novel of the week for next week is Saga Volume 1.
0: This is your chance to jump on board. Yes,
2: by Brian K. Vaughn. I'm sorry, Brian K. Vaughn. Thank you. And Fiona Staples. They've taken a self-imposed break to allow people to catch up and this is the time that's so cool yes or
0: it's bs i think (laughs)
2: it's because they didn't know if the book would be successful or not (laughs) oh we gotta make more of this oh okay regardless saga is amazing and if you haven't picked up the issues by god pick up the trade i think it's only 9.99 it's super cheap for every issue so far in print buy it come on already
0: as always we want to know what you Warriors, we'll be reading next week, but please wash your hands after inserting your suppository and tweeting at us, posting on our Facebook, or responding on TwoHeadedNerd.com in the comments section.
1: Well, that was weird. Joe Patrick. <laughs> and my butt hurts yeah, my butt hurts too <laughs> bring us back to earth and uh, read us more answers to the question of the week let's talk about more dead people
2: yeah on Facebook Dwight Brown speaking of dead people Dwight Brown writes on Facebook Jason Todd affected him he was an ass but he tried to be a hero and unlike Superman and Captain America I didn't think he was coming back the permanency quote unquote of his death made it hurt that much more it really did feel like a death in the family yeah that's He got blown up. I mean, it took forever for him to actually come back. It did. Stephen Kohler writes, Barry Allen, the uh, during Crisis on Infinite Earths, I was a kid when it happened, and it was my first experience with a major character's death. Plus, the way he withered away was terrifying for a child. I agree. It was really creepy. Uh, John Fitter writes that Gene Grey in the Dark Phoenix saga oh, yeah. moved him. Wouldn't have cared as much at the time, but... He wasn't jaded back then enough to realize that they'd bring her back again and again and again. Fair enough. Andrew McBride writes in with an awesome answer. Doc, breaker, thunder, crankcase, heavy metal, crazy legs, and my favorite, quick kick. G.I. Joe number 109 (laughs) destroyed me. Watching Joes get mowed down by a viper is oh, very upsetting to a 10-year-old. This is wonderful. This is why we put these questions out there, to hear stuff Great like this. answer, That Andrew. is fantastic. Nice work. <laughs> Great answers, everybody. Keep up the good work. Yeah, you guys are flooding
1: us with answers, and we'd like to get as many as possible in there, even if we don't read them. Keep sending them, man, because we want to discuss them and talk about them. Because people it. see them on the, on the page. Right on, right on.
2: As you may or may not know, the first show of each month has a rotating final segment. And this week, we're introducing a brand new one called The Greatest of All Time. 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 Where we discuss the best of the best that the comic world has to offer for our first GOAT segment. That's greatest of all time? Yeah. We'll be discussing the greatest event comic series of all time.
1: When sitting down and trying to decide what is the greatest event series of all time, I really had to come to grips with the fact that I haven't
2: really loved a lot of them. (laughs) Like The vast majority of It's more like I love the idea of of an event.
1: What is your greatest event series of all time?
2: No question. I didn't even need to think about it. It's Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yeah. The year was 1985. Yeah. And DC realized just how profoundly f***ed their <laughs> continuity was. In hindsight, looking back, it's a lot like what they've done today, except that Crisis on Infinite Earths was great, and what followed it was awesome. It was a year-long saga where, by the way, the best of the best in the industry, George Perez oh, at yeah. his prime. Yeah. Yeah. Coming, come on. And like a lot of the guys said in the question of the week, it had major character deaths that lasted for decades. Death of
1: Supergirl, death of Barry Allen, and, and huge stuff.
2: For me, my first experience with major character death was Supergirl. My first issue of this series, I traded a copy of ElfQuest, of all things... On the bus to school for Crisis Number Seven. How does ElfQuest get mentioned on every episode
1: know. of this show?
2: But I traded that dog for a copy of Crisis Number Seven. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. And my life was forever changed. There was the death of Supergirl. It was wonderful and heartbreaking, and that event really changed the way I enjoy comics. It made me a DC fan for life, if I wasn't already, and it's the reason I love DC. And its legacy and its history and its multiverse and all of it. And it's why I get so passionate when they screw it up.
1: (laughs) Fair enough. Matt? That is fair. Give me your answer. My greatest of all time is a lot more modern. I'm going with Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning's Annihilation. They single handedly saved and reinvented the Marvel Cosmic Universe. It was so amazing what they did. And they brought in a pretty throwaway. Fantastic four villain that we haven't heard much for quite a while in Annihilus. That's absolutely that's absolutely true. And made him the arguably the most terrifying alien in the Marvel universe.
2: You know what? I can't remember the last time I saw Annihilus before Annihilation. Right?
1: And it was so scary. They tied together the negative zone, the Marvel cosmic universe. They took stupid characters like Blaster and made him I just said, Blastar. Pardon me, Blastar and made him just Awesome! Yeah, they made Ronan the Accuser a total badass. Yep, who I just loved. Not to mention, we got Star Lord back out of this—a revival of
2: Nova, right? A character that amazing I loved. Revival that was of Nova, just toiling in obscurity.
1: I never cared about Nova, and what came out of it was a whole new Guardians of the Galaxy series, a new Nova series that all. Slowly went away. And now, while we had
2: them, they were awesome.
1: They were so fantastic. And it looks like they're going to be the basis for this next Avengers movie. Yeah. And that's huge. We're getting a huge relaunch out of this. It was vastly underappreciated, vastly underread. Everybody. Should go and pick these stories up They were so good And they're all collected There's Annihilation 1, 2, and 3 and
2: I don't know that they're all still in print They, they kind of go in and out of I think print, they're coming actually. back
1: in print real Marvel quicker. would
2: be fools not to reprint Right,
1: because they're trying to pump out as much Guardian stuff as yeah. possible I love Annihilation It is my greatest event comic of all time That is an
2: excellent choice
1: Let us know what your greatest event comic series of all time was and what you think of the new segment over at TwoHeadedNerd.com nerd.com and send us your suggestions for the next GOAT segment to two-headed nerd at gmail.com with the subject line
0: GOAT. Sort of break it, break it down like this.
1: That is it for this bought and paid for heavy Marvel edition of THN. If two nerds subjecting their journalistic morals for a payoff is your idea of good podcasting. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes where your star ratings and reviews help other listeners
2: actually subscribe to this show. And they make us squeal like happy little piggies. Yes. Huge thanks to all of our donors. And if you'd like to help keep us in stacks of Marvel Comics, the best and only comics, with the official THN seal of approval. You can make your donation in any amount at the new and improved Nerd.com. When I smoke a cigarette, it's <laughs> got to be a Marvel Comics cigarette. <laughs> at TwoHeadedNerd.com, you can also find our answer to the question of the week in our weekly web-only audio blog, the aptly named Answer of the Week. The most important audio blog you will ever hear. Ever! Ever! And you'll also find some great content from all of the THN love slaves. Most recently, John from Burnt Wieners has posted another webcomic review This time of supermassive black hole. And Matt's wife, Casey, will really, truly, I promise, have part two of her adventure into Matt's Spotify account in Monday's Girl Meets Nerd. She was distracted by
1: Looper last week. While you're there, you can find links to our Twitter feed and our email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com, where you can send us your love slash hate mail, or your comic that you'd like us to review, or your intro to the show. Send us your intro in MP3 format. And if it's awesome... You may get to introduce THN, and it doesn't have to be you. Say you bump into Dolly Parton, or John Sanunu. you can ask them to or do the intro. Or your Uncle Ira. Yeah, whatever. So, or some crazy homeless guy with no teeth and a funny voice. Ask them to do the intro right there, on the spot, with your smartphone voice recorder. I want an army of nerds out there gathering as many intros from as many interesting and famous people as
2: possible. Who's John Sanunu? Really? Yeah.
1: I'll tell you, uh, what?
2: Okay. Next week on the show, it's time again for you guys to ask a nerd. So email us your nerdiest comic book questions or trivia challenges for me. I'm not going to call myself a comic book impresario. You are a comic book book impresario. Come on. Listen.
1: I just like to show how big my comic book brain is. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jim O'Gorman, who was the first person to send us intros for the show from some awesome creators that he met at last week's Morrison Con. Word to you, Jimmy, and be sure to slap your children and tell them Uncle Matt says hi. Until next time, true believers, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off.